Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to this presentation of the IDOC's full year results for the year ended October 23. I'm Dave Meaden. I'm CEO of IDOC's. And I'm joined today by our CFO, Anup Kang, and together over the next 30 minutes, we'll review our results and provide guidance to how we see the business developing over the coming year. Now, I'm sure many of you, and I know many of you are very familiar with IDOX, but today, IDOX is a very distinctive software company, one that holds strong positions in several clearly defined markets. We have, over the last five years, significantly increased revenue, annual recurring revenue, and delivered consistently strong margins. Importantly, the markets in which we operate continue to provide opportunities for future organic growth, and we're embracing new markets with the enhanced software and data capabilities that our acquisitions bring to our portfolio. We back up our margins with strong cash conversion, providing the fuel for us to expand our product portfolio and for an accretive acquisition program that we believe creates substantial value for shareholders. We performed well as a business since 2018, and our clear focus on what's important has created a flywheel effect in the business. Having completed the walk run fly phases of our transformation, we're now focused on fortifying our foundations, and we have a clear focus on the future. During the year, we delivered and implemented a divisional structure across the business, designed to increase our focus on the opportunities presented by each area of the business. And you can see here, we brand those as land property and public protection, community solutions, and assets. We'll provide greater detail on each of these as we progress through the presentation. So in FY23, good results from IDOC's revenue up 11% to 73.3 million. Our adjusted EBITDA increased 9% to 24.5 million. And this year, we had another record full-year order intake, up 10% on the previous year to 82.4 million. We think that provides strong foundations and a clear focus on the future. Our geospatial capabilities were enhanced during the year with the acquisition of EMAP site and the continued development of Thinkware and Landhawk. The new divisional structure I've talked to has created a much better focus and delivered an improved sales performance. And we continue to cultivate strong customer relationships and market positions throughout the year. Now, at this point, I'll hand over to Anoop, who'll take you through our financial results. Thanks, Dave, and good morning, everybody. And welcome to our 2023 results presentation. Firstly, let me take you through the results for the group as a whole, and then I'll move on to the individual segments in more detail, pulling out some key themes and observations for the year. So overall, the group delivered a strong performance in the year against a backdrop of continuing macroeconomic and geopolitical challenges. And it's pleasing that the results are in line with our expectations. We delivered revenues of 73.3 million pounds, which are up 11% on last year and reinforces the solid progress the group has made. Our recurring revenue was up 8% at 43.6 million pounds as we continue to focus on securing long-term recurring contracts with our customers. 
The proportion of recurring revenues were in line with 2022 and accounted for 60% of the group's overall revenue, with good growth in land, property and public protection and also the communities division. We delivered revenue growth of 24% in LPPP and a stable performance in our assets division. And as anticipated, we had an 8% reduction in our community's revenues. Pleasingly, our adjusted EBITDA was up 9% at £24.5 million, driven through a combination of new wins, upsells and cross-sell, pricing and a disciplined approach to cost management, despite the continued inflationary pressures. Overall, we delivered a stable EBITDA margin of 33%. The group ended the period with a strong order intake of £82 million, up 10% on 2022, providing good visibility into 2024. This positive contribution to EBITDA has flown down to adjusted earnings per share, where we delivered an adjusted EPS for the year of 2.62 pence per share, up 7% in 2022. Given the strong results for the year and the continuing growth opportunities we see, our strong financial position and our confidence in the future, we are proposing a 20% increase in the full year dividend to 0.6 pence per share. We continue to focus on cash generation and strong cash management throughout the business. And after the payment of the initial consideration of 14.8 million pounds associated with the acquisition of EMAP site, net debt at the year end was 14.7 million pounds with our key leverage ratio at less than one times. In October, 2023, we renewed and increased the size of our RCF facility to 75 million pounds from 35 million pounds and our accordion from to 45 million pounds from 10 million pounds for a further three years and on improved terms, providing us with the financial resources to continue to pursue our M&A strategy. So overall, a strong performance for 2023. On the following slide, we've set out the revenue performance of the business since 2020, following the change in management and the refocusing of the business as a specialist software provider. Via a combination of continuing to fine tune what IDOCs as well and supplementing this with a number of strategic acquisitions, we've grown the group's revenues by 28% since 2020, of which 11% has been delivered over the past 12 months. We set out at the beginning of this journey to grow a business built on securing long-term revenue streams. And over the same period since 2020, we've grown recurring revenues by 22%, and 8% of which has been achieved over the past 12 months. So we've worked with customers to maintain, strengthen and extend our existing relationships over a longer term, which has contributed to order intake growth of 31% since 2021 to 82 million pounds, providing us with good visibility of future revenue streams. And of this growth, 14% has been achieved in 2023. As a result, we have ensured the delivery of profitable growth and increased our adjusted EBITDA by 42% to £24.5 million through new products and services, cross-selling and process improvements. Moving on to the next slide, we highlight how we have delivered value for shareholders. As mentioned earlier, our adjusted EPS for the year was 2.62 pence per share, up 7% on the prior year. And since 2020, the group has in fact delivered a 78% increase in EPS as the business continues to generate value for shareholders. And as a result of the strong performance for the year, we propose a 0.6 pence per share dividend for the year, which is up 20% on the prior year. And since 2020, we've increased the dividend by 100%, reflecting our confidence in the business, whilst maintaining the financial resources to pursue the company's buy and build strategy. Now, moving on to breaking out the results into our new reporting segments. Following the reorganisation of the business into three distinct divisions at the end of 2022 into the start of 2023, 
We now present our results under the new divisions of land, property and public protection, assets and communities. The LPPP division includes our regulatory services across planning and building control, our on-prem and cloud solutions for land and planning charges, inspection and enforcement software for licensing and public sector housing, our address management solutions and our geospatial capabilities. Revenues for this division have grown by 72% since 2020, with a 78% growth in adjusted EBITDA. The LPPP division accounted for 59% of the group's total revenue and 57% of the group's adjusted EBITDA in 2023. Overall revenue for the division in 2023 was up 24% at £43.4 million, with solid growth in local government and cloud. Our 2021 acquisitions-aligned assets and exegesis continue to perform in line with our expectations. EMAP site, which was acquired in August 2023, is reported within LPPP and performed in line with our expectations for the first 10 weeks of ownership. Of the £43.4 million of revenue, £24.3 million was generated from recurring revenue streams, representing 56% of the division's total revenue and was up 11% on the prior year. Non-recurring revenues were up 45% at £19.1 million, where local government and cloud performed very well in the year, as well as exegesis and thinkware. EMAP site revenues for the period were included in non-recurring revenue. Our order intake for the period was £51.1 million, up 23% on the prior year. This included a mix of new services and large contract extensions, including customers such as the City of Edinburgh Council and the City of Wolverhampton Council. Within cloud, order intake continued to improve and was up 25% on the same period last year, with 18 new customers, including Conway, Harrow, and Blackwind and Darwin Councils. In address management, order intake was up 29%, with notable wins with the Met Police and Cadent Gas. We reported an adjusted EBITDA for the year of £13.9 million, representing a 32% margin for the year, which was slightly lower than last year, largely through mixed changes and an element of cost inflation. Now, moving on to the assets division. The assets division provides document management and control solutions to asset intensive industries, facilities management, asset tracking and transportation solutions. The assets division has delivered a broadly stable performance since 2020 with annual revenues of circa 15 to 16 million pounds per annum and contributing four to four and a half million pounds of adjusted EBITDA. In 2023, the division accounted for 20% of group revenues and 17% of group EBITDA. For the year, overall revenue for the division was stable at 14.9 million pounds. Within the division, EIM solutions delivered a 4% revenue growth year on year, with good progress on existing customers such as Wood Group, Duke Energy and SNCF, as well as new wins such as KNPC, VMB Process and Electnor. Revenues for our asset tracking solution iFit were up 6% with the launch of several new programs into the NHS market. Despite some of the economic pressures on the facilities management market, we've seen a steady progress in our FM solutions, which grew 2% over the course of the year. Recurring revenues remained stable at £9.7 million and represented 60% of the division's revenue, whilst non-recurring revenue was also stable at £5.2 million. Our order intake for the year remained stable for the period of £15.6 million. The adjusted EBITDA for the period is £4.2 million compared to £4.5 million last year and was impacted by slightly lower margins in transport and EIM. 
So the community's division comprises our elections, grants and databases, and social and healthcare solutions. Communities division accounts for 20% of the total group revenues and 26% of group EBITDA. Whilst election events can cause variability in the revenue streams from one year to the next, other parts of the division have acted as a counter to such cyclicality. As anticipated, revenue for the communities division was down 8% in a year at £15 million. In election, given the absence of any major events during the year, we saw election revenues reduced by 26%. We did, however, continue to work uh, for a number of project-based uh, changes to the election management system with the Department of Leveling Up, Housing and Communities. Our databases solutions continue to attract new customers, particularly in the higher education sectors, where our Research Connect solution secured over 130 new customers. We also saw revenues in social care increase by 15%, with recurring revenue growth up 10% in relation to our sexual health solution. So as a result, recurring revenues were up 8% at £9.6 million. The non-recurring revenue reduction to £5.4 million was driven by the previously mentioned impact of elections. There was good order intake for the year at £15.7 million, despite no major election events. In addition to the work for DLUC and our work around grants and databases, social care had new wins with customers such as the City of Bradford Council and Doncaster Council, and in sexual health care, we continue to build on the work we're doing with Virgin and the Brook and Cambridge Community Services. The division ended the period with an adjusted EBITDA of £6.4 million, with an improvement in margins to 42%. The margin improvement was driven by the mixed impact of lower election revenues and higher margin project work during the year. Moving on to the group's cash flows for the year. So the group generated net cash from operating activities before tax of £20.1 million, and against the group's adjusted EBITDA of £24.5 million, this equated to a conversion rate of 82%. The group paid £1.5 million in taxes in a year and £14.1 million in M&A outflows net of the cash acquired. This included the initial consideration of £14.8 million in respect of EMAP site. In addition, a further £1.6 million related to exegesis and £1 million related to aligned assets, both in connection with deferred consideration payments. These payments were in line with our original expectation and now conclude the cash payments associated with these transactions. The group invested £8.5 million in development in CapEx, which is in line with the prior period, and notable investment included that into local government, cloud and elections. The group paid a 2022 dividend of 0.5 pence per share, which resulted in a total cash outflow of £2.3 million. After interest, lease payments and other items of £3.1 million, the group moved from a net debt position of £6.7 million at the start of the year to a net debt position of £14.7 million at the end of the year. So finally, moving on to future guidance and outlook. So this is consistent with guidance communicated previously and reflecting the medium-term outlook for the business. We expect the group to deliver double-digit revenue growth in 2024, which will include the full-year contribution from EMAP site. From an EBITDA margin perspective, whilst we expect a short-term margin reduction following the acquisition of EMAP site, over the medium term, we expect to head towards a 35% adjusted EBITDA margin for a mix of efficiencies and acquisition of higher margin businesses. In terms of cash generation, we continue to expect the business to generate good levels of cash against EBITDA, and over the medium term, and therefore reducing the net debt position over 2024 and 2025, and then into a cash position thereafter. Having increased the RCF from 35 million to 75 million and the accordion 
from 10 million to 45 million, we have significant facilities to progress our M&A work over the coming 12 months. And just finally, in terms of 2024, we have made an encouraging start to the year with trading in line with the board's expectations. We will continue to invest selectively to grow our capabilities where appropriate. Despite that this is likely to be an election year, we remain confident about the outlook for 2024 and anticipate delivering double-digit revenue growth in the year. So at this point, I'm going to hand back to Dave, who will take you through the remainder of the presentation. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Anoop. So if we move on to strategy and operations, as I've mentioned a number of times in previous presentations, IDOT's software delivers specific software for complex business processes driven by legislation or high regulation. Examples would be across the country that we process in excess of 70% of the country's planning applications. We deal with the complexity and sensitivity of sexual health screening and reporting across the country. And we manage the document control on a number of construction mega projects around the world. But 2023 was another good year for the group, and we're pleased to report 177 new clients across the group, in particular IDOC's Cloud doing well with 18 new customers and a continued conversion from legacy solutions to cloud for long-standing clients. In our address management area with aligned assets, our order intake was significantly up 29% in the year. And good progress, we think, where, where our order intake was up significantly, and we've had a very strong start in 24. Importantly, the markets in which we operate continue to evolve and provide us with opportunities to upsell and cross-sell our products and capabilities. Uh, one such example is the South Thames Building Control Partnership. This is an organisation which brings together several local authorities, uh, building control departments, Canterbury, Medway, Swale and Gratian councils, who come together to form a larger and more effective organisation to compete with commercial organisations who also offer such services. By adopting IDUX Cloud, they are able to substantially improve their efficiency and outcomes. And it's here where our detailed understanding of business process combined with smart solutions delivered in the cloud is understood and really appreciated by our customers. Throughout this presentation, we reference the transformation of the group, and we feel that this continues to be an evolving and essential part of requirements if we're to continue to grow and grow sustainably over the medium to long term. And so during the year, we always concentrate on the quality of our business and we continue to focus on our four pillars, revenue growth, margins, communication and simplification. And to bring sharper focus through those four mechanisms to each of these areas. Operationally, we have concentrated on partnerships and how we can move our business forward, both from our databases business and also in our Fusion Live business, opening up new channels to provide access to deals and working with our partners in Esri in the utilities area to replace their address management technology as they go forward. We continue to grow our offshore capabilities. Our operation in Pune continues to be very significant for the group and is now over 10% of the company's workforce in Pune. We focus very heavily on sales stratification, ensuring that we focus our sales resources wherever we can on business development and larger transaction activity. And we continue to invest in our internal systems to keep them in pace with our growth. 
This involves advancing our Salesforce implementation and also our professional services automation that has gone on during the course of the year. In our strategic work, we are very disciplined in our capital allocation decisions, both for internal development activity, but also for our M&A and Bolton acquisitions. We continue to drive a very strong staff culture. We genuinely believe that our diversity in the business is our strength. We believe that everybody contributes across IDOPS to our success in the long term. And it was pleasing during the year to see uh, a 10-point increase in our staff satisfaction rating. And of course, we always focus on improving our ARR. We think that our annual recurring income is a real foundation and indicator of our future success. And that remains at all times a focus for us in the business. And as far as markets and customers go, we're constantly always reviewing pricing, both from a competitive perspective but also to ensure that we are recipients of the value that we're creating, providing more solutions in the cloud to clients and developing our prop tech business. And this, of course, has led us into further M&A and venturing into both software and data curation uh, for organizations who are looking to provide competitive edge and greater insight to their businesses as they move forward, both in the public and private sectors. So this, we believe, provides us with a platform to continue our growth. For those of you who attended our end-of-year roadshow, the products on this page will be very familiar and provide good examples of areas in which we've been able to provide our disciplined approach to capital allocation across the group. IDOC's Insights is a performance dashboard across planning, building control, environmental services, licensing, and highways, and has been released and is live at Uthsford Borough Council, who are our first site. This is a reporting suite that will in time be applicable for most of our applications across the portfolio, and is a good example of us using our resources wisely and to most effect across the group. Similarly, the government mandating that local authorities digitize their education, health and care plans will help boost opportunities for our SEM products across the piece, which we've established over the last few years as a leading product in that area. In address management, uh, we've seen organizations like Nottingham City Council uh, come to use land referencing uh, to much greater effect. Their local land property gazetteer and local street gazetteers, integration to their unique property reference numbers and unique street reference numbers at the heart of those gazetteers have helped them produce a return on investment of six to one over the last five years, and indeed have returned 9.8 million to the council over an eight-year period. This comes from improved accuracy and collection of business rates, integrating data more successfully, and putting in safer housing initiatives and improving their outcomes with waste management. And that gives us great encouragement that the investments we're making in ground mapper and spatialized going forward will be rewarded suitably. Now, during the year, as people know, we believe that geospatial activities provide a great growth opportunity for the business moving forward from our strong position in land property and public protection. EMAP site was very exciting for us as a business. It's doubled its revenues over the last three years. It provides a front of house mapping shop that provides maps for a whole variety of industries and users. 
And from that, the significant users of mapping technology are engaged by eMapSite to introduce their spatialized services, which provide curated data sets to precisely meet client problems. Examples would be City Fiber, uh, and where curated data helps them to understand the parts of the country that are most lucrative to bid for in terms of fiber, and which provide the best opportunity to future sales revenue over time. Other examples would include TikTok, who is looking, seeking to create an advantage over their rivals by improving the accuracy, delivery, and speed to the client uh, on its selling marketplace. And here, rather than the last mile of getting to the client, we're probably down to the last 30 yards of accuracy to provide um, real competitive advantage in that area. Now, having discussed some of these examples, and particularly the example at Not City Council, we find there are other significant opportunities across our existing client sets, particularly in areas like housing management, where clients use mapping and changing geospatial information to evaluate their existing land banks for development and the type of development opportunities given climate-related change, such as flood risk. Housing associations and other large property management operations are also using aerial and street photography, LIDAR, and other data sets to remotely value and manage their physical estates. And in a digital world, accuracy of data matters and can create real competitive advantage. We believe that it's really important as we move forward that these technologies continue to be delivered within our existing product suites, but also present terrific opportunity for us to continue to develop new technologies, new offerings, and new products as we move forward. So here at IDOCS, we genuinely believe that there will be continuing growth in opportunities for software application that improve the gathering and dissemination of information that use geospatial technologies and data integration to bring together otherwise dispersed data. The really exciting thing for us here is that geospatial information provides the coordinating point to bring together what were previously disparate information sources and to be able to understand the linkages between those parts of data without necessarily having to integrate the data sets themselves. That provides real savings for clients over the coming years. And we'll grow this sector by embracing that integration centered around our comprehensive understanding of land and property. So what we can see in 2024 is continuing excellence in performance. We're a well-run and managed company with a very strong culture and a very distinctive and clearly articulated set of propositions. We're working really strong markets to provide great opportunities for growth. And in addition, we're adding capabilities that substantially increase our future addressable target markets, which we enter through strengths anchored in land property management. We've significantly outperformed the AIM General Index, uh, the FTSE Comparable Index since 2021. And we've built both consistency and forward momentum in the business. We'll continue to invest selectively and enhance and grow our capabilities based on the group's already strong recurring income. We have a very attractive M&A pipeline. And as Anoops outlined, we feel we have significant financial resources to continue to deliver appreciative M&A and create value for shareholders. And as Anoop also said, we've had an encouraging start to 24, trading in line with our expectations. And we remain very confident about the year ahead.
thanks for your time and we'll be happy to take any questions you might have. And um, we've got a question from Kaiko Scheldt from Canaccord. Um, I had three questions, uh, if that's okay. So uh, if you could please bear with me. Um, the first one was around the organic growth. And I think it was around shy, just shy of 7% for the year. And I believe uh, perhaps 12 months ago, I think the hope was to deliver double digits. So I'm just wondering kind of what were maybe the areas that uh, didn't uh, quite hit the mark in terms of maybe your expectations for the year. And then, and maybe that's the answer just as asking about the financial situation of some of some councils there's obviously been some studies uh, about the financial difficulties and just wondering how do you see this impacting kind of growth either backward looking or or forward looking that was the second question the third one was around the general elections obviously it's been a bit of a sort of weak year for that part of your business um how and when you know would you expect that to benefit idox Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so Kai, LPPP, you know, has performed in line with our expectations. I think, you know, the outset at the beginning of 2023, we said, look, you know, we expected double digit growth. I think if I was looking at the three divisions, um, you know, we expected the shortfall or the, the, the reduction in communities. I, I would pinpoint around assets, actually, and specific within assets. I think we had expectations that, you know, despite EIM growing at 4%, we probably wanted to do a bit more. Uh, transport was off a little bit in those areas as well. So I think, you know, I think it's predominantly around the assets division which you know is delivered a stable performance for the year but i think you know at the start of the year probably wanted it to just push on a bit more yeah i think there it's important to point out that you know our core markets and the things that have driven growth remained very strong for the group um our assets division is probably more susceptible to the geopolitical changes that are going on a little bit more susceptible to the higher interest rates which has held back some capital investment programs um, and, you know, a little bit more susceptible generally to higher inflationary environment. So uh, I think that's there. And, and as you pointed out, um, in a non-election year, revenues were drawn back a little bit in our communities business. But growth in our in our core LPPP business was, was incredibly strong um, and gives us a lot of confidence that the strategy that we've outlined for the group is the right one uh, and continue to be um, as a, a, aggressively sought after, really. Um, it's a financial situation on the councils. Yeah, the, the, you're right. During the during the year, a number of councils have issued um, Section 114 notices. Um, that is the declaration that sort of says effectively the councils are bankrupt and they need to produce a new balanced budget. Unlike the NHS and other parts of the public sector, Local authorities have to produce balanced budgets. They can't work in deficit. Um, the 114s that have been issued to date have tended to be from councils that have uh, had some sort of extraneous event which has created their, their short-term problem. So uh, in London boroughs, that has been investment in private um, uh, property and private uh, in, investing their money into rental schemes that perhaps have, have not produced the income that they expected and having to take a certain down marking on their, the value of their, their court commercial properties. Um, in other areas like at Birmingham, I think it's well noted that the problem was created by a very large pension, sorry, a very large deficit due to an equal pay um, uh, notification that was given to them some time ago. So, you know, generally councils have been working against a... Uh, 
downward trend in budgets for some considerable time. This is nothing new for, for local councils. That's been happening over a decade. Um, but what tends to happen in those environments is that as they improve their efficiency and look to improve um, the way that they interact with the public, uh, automation is a critical part of that. And software is, is at the heart of driving those efficiencies to help them become more effective and efficient into the future. So ironically, or, or conversely, I should say that as councils come under pressure, a larger percentage of their budget tends to be spent on software and IT to enable them to work in a digital fashion, um, rather than seeing a reduction in those environments. And of course, a lot of the areas in which we work are revenue generating uh, for councils, so planning applications, in particular licensing, permitting, are things that actually bring cash into those organisations and so tend to have a priority in terms of spend. Um, but we are mindful that in an election year, things can you know, be a little confusing for people uh, trying to make long-term plans when Yet governments aren't exactly uh, committed to long-term spending uh, arrangements. So we're very mindful of all of that. But as I say, it's nothing new. And during uh, the last five years, those conditions have, have been around and we've continued to, to move forward. Um, but I would also say that's also part of our rationale to improve the scope and areas that, that we operate in, in working around what we do with geospatial. And some of the examples I think we've given today show how our existing client base can also benefit from geospatial technology, creating real savings and real efficiencies for them, as well as providing new markets in which we can provide both software and curated data services. Last one was? Um, elections, just in terms of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see how we go during the course of the year. I mean, yeah, I think if if we have an election in the year, then clearly, you know, that will be a boost to the revenue line for us. Um, on the opposite side of that, margins are, are in that elections business are generally reduced because we have more third-party throughput to help support the election at that time. Um, I think if we get towards the end of the year and, and the election looks to be pushed out, um, we'll continue to do the work that we have lined up with Department for Leveling Up and Communities to deliver software changes and improvements that are required. And from a margin perspective, that should give us um, adequate cover. And I, I don't think either way will make a significant difference to the profitability of the group over the period. No, and in terms of our sort of phasing, we are currently assuming that it's the second half event for us. Um, but as Dave says, I mean, if it were to slip into November or December, you know, um, it doesn't have an overall material impact uh, to the position uh, because we are continuing to do work over the course of a year and being ready for the elections. Yeah. And we'll go to Julian Yates at Investec. Um, just a, a couple of questions from me. It's sort of picking on the organic growth number um, again, and that was sort of, I guess, driven, as you say, by LPPP. There's some very strong growth, 20% plus within the IDOX cloud piece. Is it possible to sort of pick out the sort of the quantum of revenue that that sort of that product now has and the sustainability of, of those levels of growth? I'm thinking you still have a very big install base on old school uniform. Um, if you could just give us some clarity or expectations on install base migrations, because that's clearly a, 
a pretty visible, potentially visible part to driving recurring revenue growth. Um, so that's the IDOS cloud piece. And then how that will filter down and help push the overall growth rate of the business, the organic growth rate of the business. Could that sort of deliver it above the 5 6% levels as, a, as an organic? Is that in your mindset? Is that kind of where you're, you're sort of angling for? Or should we be see, seeing this as a mid-single-digit player? Um, just interested. Yeah, sort of see, see where clearly uh, it depends what falls, but um, those scenarios would be helpful. The second uh, question is um, M&A. A lot on that in the presentation, clearly flagging opportunities there. It's been bolt-ons to date. Um, you've sort of indicated the firepower is there. Um, I guess maybe if we could talk about um, sort of larger deal scope for that, financial scope, um, appetite for that. Um, you've got the platform now, I guess, confidence to integrate larger deals. It will be sort of interesting on, on, on that sort of the size sort of question. We haven't sort of publicly uh, given a number around the cloud, but what I can say is that cloud, since we've, you know, through the Tascomi acquisition back in 2019, you know, we've been growing at it sort of more than 20% per annum. Um, and similarly for FY23, you know, revenue growth was 26%, um, the recurring revenue growth was 32%. Um, I think, you know, we have still got an opportunity here because a significant number of our customers are still on sort of the, the on-prem and hosted uh, solutions. Um, so, you know, we do see over the next 12, 24, 36 months, significant opportunity in moving what is probably about a 25 to 30% customer base that has transitioned over to taking uh, and encouraging and moving with customers over to the cloud. So I think that does present an opportunity with us. And as we do that, um, that automatically, because we're moving to a SaaS type, type of platform, uh, transition um, a lot of revenue from non-recurring to a recurring revenue stream. Uh, which again should top that number up. So I, I do think there is significant opportunity for us over the coming years in that space. In terms of that sort of gold standard um, um, product, in terms from a margin point of view, is it important for the company to migrate to to the cloud, or, or you know, some companies you get a much higher margin kicker when you move to the to, to the to the, the the cloud sort of environment. Um, is that the case for yourselves or, or you're not really that reliant from, from a margin point of view, just more earnings quality point of view? Um, well, it, it, will, it, it becomes an, an enhancer to earnings for sure when we move clients across to the cloud. There's uh, less, less third-party pass-through as we go. But obviously, you've, you've, you can see in the results, we drive solid and good and reliable margins across the business. But it always helps when we, we move clients uh, through to the cloud program for sure. Um, in terms of M&A, a, a good attractive pipeline. Um, I think, as you rightly point out, Julian, we, we've shown that we can integrate and deliver success through, through smaller acquisitions. And uh, we do, we continue to do much of the generation of that ourselves. Uh, we think that's important. We like, we like to develop engagements and relationships with the companies that, that we, we like to acquire. Um, we're very clear about the added value that they bring way before we, we engage them and, and bring them into the company. Um, and we have uh, a very proficient leadership and management group who are uh, skilled in, in integrating the businesses and have an ambition to, to move the business forward significantly. So we're always alert to potentially larger opportunities. Uh, we monitor those, um, we think, across the piece. Um, and 
we as a board feel it's important to remain agile uh, to opportunities as they may emerge during the course of the next two or three years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, m and will absolutely play a part in continuing to drive um, the IDOT story over the next couple of years. And um, we'll go to James Lockyer at Peel Hunt. So the first one is a follow-up from Julian, I guess, in terms of the cloud transition. Um, obviously, you know, over time, uh, you've been able to persuade more of them to come on. Um, what are the sort of main reasons why, you know, you, you, you've been able to persuade them? Is it the confidence in the cloud itself or are they seeing partner authorities uh, taking, you know, making benefits from it or, or the fact that you've now got more tools or you're, or you're investing in more things that sort of will help them future-proof themselves. What's sort of the main, main reason why, 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 why you continue to transition people across? And is that accelerating, I guess, uh, would be interesting. Uh, second question on LPPP, um, looking at the EBITDA, um, the increase year on year looks a bit softer, but I would imagine that there's a decent amount of investment within that uh, from for, for geospatial, not least uh, EMAP site. How should we think about the underlying EBITDA in 23 versus 22 and guess any color on the investment you're putting into in, in to geospatial within that business and then finally you mentioned tiktok quite briefly um in in your in, in your remarks um could you provide more color on that deal how it came about was it inbound outbound and what's the potential for it to grow there if, if they are looking to compete against facebook marketplace uh, it might be quite interesting thank you um, so the first one in terms of, you know, why are people moving across? And I, I guess we, we do see an acceleration of clients being interested in moving across uh, to the cloud for, for lots of reasons, um, you know, not least of which security, being able to manage on-premise systems with uh, resources that are competed very heavily within the local authority uh, and the demands that are placed upon them. And I think uh, local authorities understanding that the strategic nature of their IT resources needs to be deployed on new thinking and new ways of working, as opposed to maintaining infrastructure and uh, existing estates of, of, of products and services that have been delivered over a long period of time. Um, but as I said earlier, you know there are also those counterbalancing factors of uh, restricted budgets and limited focus to be able to do some of those things over time. So um, my view would be is that we will continue to see this kind of growth and this kind of activity in our cloud business over the over the forthcoming periods, and that may accelerate a little bit in in the next two to three years, um, as inevitably people have a bit more time to sort of come on board with that. Uh, in that period, it's also obviously encouraging if you can see your peers making a success of those implementations and gaining the uh, the outcome benefits uh, that they would hope for. So I think those factors will help to uh, uh, continue, you know, the acceleration of the move to the cloud. Uh, today, as I pointed out earlier, you know, we maybe had a, a 20, 25% conversion of existing clients into that cloud environment. So there's still plenty to go at. And half our wins in this area are always brand new wins from, from competitors in the sector. Um, LPPP margins. I you want to deal with that? Yes, right. so, so James, as you point out, yes, the LPPP margin moved from 38% to 32% um, from 22 into 23. I think um, if you were to try and get a run rate sort of basis, um, taking out the impact of EMAP site, it'd be closer to 34, 35%. Um, you know, I think the, the, the and that reduction from the 38 from last year really is kind of driven through 
a little bit of cost inflation through sort of uh, IT service providers, the impact of a 5% pay rise last year coming through, um, and a little bit of mixed change between 22 and 23. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, as we've talked about before, EMAP site is uh, not a 35% margin business. And, uh, you know, there is a reason behind why we did the acquisition, which we've been through. So I think, you know, I think if you were strip pairing that, like I said, it's about 34, 35%. Yeah. And in terms of uh, specific sites on TikTok, uh, I'm not sure I can give you all of the history in the background to that as I wasn't there. Um, however, my understanding is that, um, uh, as you know, EMAP site have uh, a front of house, uh, easy to use mapping uh, marketplace where you can go online and buy maps, buy data sets, um, if you'd really like to, using your credit card. However, for larger customers, they come in and, and uh, buy mapping on uh, for various areas and various operations on a regular basis. And uh, having become a client uh, by buying maps through through that way through, through that marketplace, um, the spatialized team. Uh, engage with those guys to really, you know, discover what they were using those maps for and the business problems that they were trying to resolve. And it became apparent uh, then that, you know, there's a more strategic engagement around their, their business goals, uh, the competitive environment in which they're working and their desire to create um, precision with the delivery side of their marketplace activity so that they could drive greater efficiency in the delivery process and higher customer satisfaction by meeting requirements for delivery times, precision of, of things and less parcels going missing, um, less returns that happen as a result of doing those things, uh, ensuring that, you know, that accuracy down to, as I described it, down to the last 30 yards and rather than the last mile becomes a significant factor for them. So. Being able to furnish the business with that geographic and location detail in, with much more precision became very helpful, helping them with their address management capabilities. And I think the ongoing engagement there is around um, adding further color, both to the geography and location activity, but also helping them understand their clients uh, better. They have tons and tons of information, as you know, on, on their customers, their preferences and needs and requirements. Uh, but engaging uh, with the EMAP site team, um, there are a number of other provisions and services that they can make. Uh, we hope that we'll, we'll help them uh, improve that even further. So hopefully it remains a, a good client's opportunity moving forward. Um, we'll go to Ian Robertson at Progressive. Morning, guys. Um, two questions. First of all, on the R&D and the sort of general development expenditure as to where that's being applied and this whole question of what can be capitalised, what can't be capitalised, and how that might sort of flow through over the next sort of 12, 24 months. And then also the sort of big general question as to geospatial, what do they do in other countries? Because it strikes me that this, unlike a lot of public sector, local council stuff, this is internationally relevant. So Ian, on R&D, so our sort of developments team probably spends about, we spend about 11 to 12 million pounds a year in that area um, and we capitalize between seven and eight million pounds um, so the element that really is expensed and goes through the PL is is more sort of uh, research in nature um, you know being having visibility of the long-term revenue streams once it becomes a a sellable proposition uh, 
um, the accounting standards allow you to basically capitalize those costs and put them on a balance sheet. And so, you know, we're very sensible around what we do put on the balance sheet, and what we don't put on the balance sheet. And I think, you know, up until the point that actually we don't think, we think there's revenue streams associated with it, we will expense it, which I think is the right thing to do. You're sort of mid-process there for geospatial. You know you're developing, but you haven't got revenues or you haven't quite got the visibility, you think? Well, we have we have the visibility with the individual businesses. And I think, you know, the piece of work that we're doing now and we've embarked on and, you know, we're assembling the team is around actually how do we combine it all together? How do we then take that proposition to customers? How do we then connect what we're doing in the private sector with the public sector and vice versa? So there's a piece of work that's ongoing around that. And I think, you know, we'll... We'll, we'll finesse that and work through that over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of the international stuff, Ian, I, I think our focus absolutely remains in the UK. We think there's tons of opportunity here for us. And, and I think it's our the combination, you know, what is it that can make IDOTS unique in this area? It's that combination of skills allow, around land property, public protection and assets that combined with geospatial makes a very, very powerful uh, value-added proposition for clients. Um, I think you're right on geospatial. It clearly is international. We've seen tremendous success from some other UK GIS companies that are being able to formulate propositions that are attractive overseas. Um, and who knows, in, in, in due course, that we may get led there by the success of solutions that we we found we find embed into the uk market but for for right now it's it's largely focused for us in into the uk and establishing uh, that market as our stronghold and we've got a question from kieran donnelly from berenberg in terms of MA, can you talk about valuation multiples in the geospatial sector currently and how they've evolved over the past few years um I'm always reluctant to talk about valuations um, because I, I think, you know, you don't want to be hung by your own petard, as it were. My, um, well, obviously, you know, you can see the multiples that we paid for EMAP site. We were very excited about that business because of its growth and development. And in particular, the way that um, they have used curated data and, and software solutions to deliver re really outstanding value to customers. Uh, we felt that was worth us paying the multiple that we paid. Um, equally, I think we paid um, small multiples for uh, Landhawk and, and for um, uh, the, the work we think where um, aligned assets probably worked out to being around sort of 10 times earnings, that sort of stuff. So they do vary a little. I, I suspect... Uh, uh, um, how would I describe the geospatial market? Um, I think the geospatial market is um, diverse and dispersed. And I think that hopefully plays to an advantage for us as we're able to find sensible value acquisitions that we can create further accretive value out by binding them together and tying them into the solutions that we already provide to the markets. I think that's where we'll, we'll create a lot of value. Um, but as ever, you know, we're looking for high quality businesses and we're happy to pay the right rate for high quality coming into the group. 
And another question from Yusef Katijar from MZ Investment. What are your borrowing plans for the foreseeable future in the context of the maturity of the bond in 2025, the strong cash position and the company's buy and build strategy to further expand its business and operations? Um, so we um, uh, moved uh, the RCF forward, uh, as I explained a bit earlier, back in October. So we have now a facility of an RCF of seventy-five million pounds uh, and an accordion of forty-five. Um, in thinking about what level to set that, we were thinking about we gave quite a lot of thought to the M and A over the next twelve to eighteen months. Uh, in addition to that, the bond is due in June twenty twenty-five, um, and our plan would be to redeem the bond. Uh, and uh, make use of the facility to to make that redemption. Um, you know, I think as we're currently structured and, and that size of facility, it feels appropriate given where we are, given some of the opportunities that we're looking at uh, and taking account of the bond. I mean, clearly, if we start to think about and start to move into bigger M&A, um, then the capital structure is clearly a piece of work that we would uh, look to move on. Um, and that would be beyond the, the current facilities that we have. Great, thank you very much. And that's the end of questions. David, do you have any closing remarks? Well, uh, firstly, thank you for your time. We know you, you can be doing lots of other things. And although we get to chat to most of you during the year, we really do appreciate you, you taking the time out to listen to us. Uh, IDOCS has been um, a really strong journey over the last five years. First part of uh, getting the business back into shape, the second part in accelerating our growth and, and really improving uh, the dynamics in the business. And this next part of our journey is a, an equally exciting one, being able to you know, drive our business forward further and add greater capability to the group through a selective M&A program, I think provides a really strong opportunity for further, further shareholder growth um, over that period. And it's something we're really looking forward to. So, um, you know, we hope that having been a really strong performer across all the AIM indices over the last five years, we'll continue to be an outstanding group and a high quality group that will attract support over the next period. So um, looking forward to this next period for uh, that part of the journey that should be a little more exciting and less grind than we've, we've done in the past. Uh, but thanks again for your time. Much appreciated. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.